so I kind of just want to start by talking about growth in general. So if you think about just in general growth, there's usually a few different things that accompany growth. One is there's usually some kind of pressure, right? That's usually the cause of growth is some kind of pressure. There's also uh, victories in growth or advancements or milestones in growth. And then there's usually a lot of messiness that accompanies growth. Would you agree with that? So you think about a little, let's, I mean, you could think about a lot of different examples, but you think about a little baby, the pressure, the resistance. I mean, you, just even the kids holding their head up, like gravity is resistance. They have to grow and to just be able to hold their head up. And then pretty soon you see them doing the thing where they stand by the edge of the coffee table and they're doing the bouncy leg thing as gravity. And it's like their, their, their legs are getting stronger. There's that resistance. There's a pressure to grow. You could think about a teenager. They, they're in school and there's peer pressure. And then they have to learn how to grow and make decisions in that pressurous setting. You could think about your business. Maybe there's pressure from a competitor. And so you have to change the way you're doing things in business in order to grow. So that is, there's usually a pressure there that causes growth. That's normal. It's across the board. It's kind of a universal truth. Uh, pressure, resistance causes growth if we'll let it. And then in, in that same note, there's usually advancements. For growth, there needs to be a step forward or some kind of step, a milestone, or something that happens to kind of propel you forward. Babies start with it crawling, then they're walking, then they're talking. Uh, your teenager starts to maybe say no to some of the bad uh, things that are being proposed or pressed upon them at school. And then you begin to go, wow, they're really growing up. They start to maybe be a little less ungrateful for the things, and they start to say thank you for these things that you've been providing for them. And you go like, wow, they're really growing up. There's some milestones, some victories there. But in the middle of all that, there's messiness, isn't there? That whole process, I mean, the kid, whether it's a baby, whether it's a high schooler, whether it's in your business, there's messiness associated with growth. Pressure, victory, and messiness. And I feel like as we look at chapter 8 here, and the church grows, the message of Christ goes out, and the church just it begins to spread, we can see all of those things. We see pressure, we see victory, and we see messiness. And so we're going to talk about those things a little bit here today uh, as we go. Let me turn on this thing. And if you remember, we're in chapter 8, but this is going way back to chapter 1. Remember, this is what Jesus said. He said, you shall receive power. Catch that word, power. There's going to be some power we're going to see in chapter 8. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and that's where everything has happened. Judea, which is kind of the region surrounding Jerusalem, and Samaria, which we're going to see today, it moves. Today's it takes the next step to Samaria. So Jerusalem, Judea is the area around Jerusalem, and then Samaria is up above Jerusalem. And then it says, and to the end of the earth, which will be later in the book. But here we see, all of a sudden, a switch flips, and the church and these witnesses spread out to Samaria, to Judea and Samaria. And it says... You'll be my witnesses. And the interesting thing about that word is we get 
in the original language, we get our word martyr from the word in Greek that's witness. And you guys remember what happened last week? Well, it didn't happen last week. We talked about last week. Who was martyred? Yeah, he was Stephen was martyred. And do you remember he was talking about all the opportunities for deliverance that God had given an opportunity for deliverance, an opportunity for deliverance. And he's saying, you people refused what God was offering you. You refused what God was providing for you. And they got really angry and they ended up stoning him. And it said they were laying the coats at the feet of Saul, this man named Saul, who we're all going to know really well by the end of the book of Acts. But they're laying the, the coats at the feet of this guy, Saul. So we have our first martyr in church. And so... Uh, you know, the Jews, are, the Jews here are filled with contempt for Stephen, his accusations that, hey, that you kind of keep rejecting this deliverance. You're rejecting the deliverer, Jesus Christ. They kill him, but we're going to see what happens after that. You all with me? All right, let me pray real quick one more time. Father, we come before you and we acknowledge and admit we need you, we need your Holy Spirit, and we need your word, Father. Uh, I feel like we are just uh, wandering people in, in our tendencies, in our mind, in uh, our desires. They just wander, Father, but your word gives us a direct, straight, solid path. So we need it. We need the teaching from your word today. I pray that you would use this teaching to encourage and strengthen these people. Uh, I thank you for the way it's encouraged and strengthened me this week and challenged me, and I, I just pray that you would use it in our church, among our people, and that you would start that work today. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So now we're going to, so this is what was forecasted by Christ, and now we move into our chapter uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. Now, Saul was consenting to his, Stephen's death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Remember, the church was there, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, Samaria and preached Christ to them. So I just kind of want to make a, a couple points on this. And it says that they were scattered. And that's a term that this group would have been familiar with. It's kind of like the dispersion or dispersia. And the whole idea is of seeds being scattered. And that is what God would do. He did that to the Jews also. They ended up scattering. And that's the way that he, he worked. But through this persecution, the Jews were scattered and spread out like seeds to be planted so that new life would would grow up. And for us, you know, we think of this as church, but the church is gathered and scattered. We are to be both. We are to be a group that gathers and a group that scatters. When we leave here, the church, you are still the church, the scattered church. And so we need to remember that, that we're called to be the church whether we're gathered or we're scattered. 
And so that is how the seed and new life grows is as the church is scattered. Not, not a lot of new life happens right here. This is building up. And so what God wants to do is build us up so we can go out and give and share life outside of the church. And so that's kind of what happens here, and it happens through this intense pressure, intense trouble, trials, we would say. And in fact, through history, that's when the church usually grows is through persecution. Unfortunately, that seems to be the way God designed it, is when there's pressure and there's pain, and there's the resistance like we talked about. God ends up causing the growth of the church. And so that's, that's the way we can see that that happens here. And a couple other quick points on this is it says, Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So we have these people, and uh, most people believe that it was, remember I said there were some Greekish Jews or the Hellenistic Jews? A lot of people believe, because the apostles stayed back behind in Jerusalem, because the guy Philip we read about here, he's all, he's all through chapter 8, Stephen, they were, they were, most people believe that they were kind of that Greekish group, and that they were the ones that were facing the most persecution. And so when we go, we're going to read about Philip, they call him Philip the Evangelist, we're going to read about him today. He goes out, but it's not just Philip. This whole group that's being pressured goes out from Jerusalem, but do they go out and check out what they do? Do they go out from Jerusalem and go hide and hide out and shut their mouth and be like, oh, thank goodness we got away from that. Let's just fly under the radar and do what we can. No, it says that they went preaching the word. And so this group that's being persecuted gets out of Jerusalem, spread out, and they continue to preach the word. And this, there's a couple words. There's that word preach, and it says Philip went down and preached. Those are two different words in the original. The first one is kind of the idea that they shared the good news. And that, that, that word comes from when, if there was like a victory, a military victory, and someone would come through town and say like, we beat the Assyrians. It's kind of like, there's this good news to share. There's this proclaiming. That's what these people were doing. These people who were being persecuted were going out and sharing good news about the word of God. They were sharing truth. And this book is full of good news. And that's what they were sharing despite their troubles and their trials. And the word that uh, is used of Philip here is more the idea of a herald or an announcement that something is fact. It's kind of like a legal herald. I don't know if you ever see when uh, over in Europe, United, the UK, when, when the, a new baby's born or something and there's the guy that has the funny hat and they come out with the trumpet, they still do it. You'll see it on the news and they're like, and they're like, hear ye, hear ye, born on this date and this weight. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, a few of you have seen it, right? It's like this official declaration going, here's the official declaration. That's what Philip was doing. And he was making an official declaration about Jesus Christ. This one is the Messiah. It's official. We've found the Messiah. And so you have the spreading of good news and the spreading of victory. And these are what these people that are being persecuted are doing. You're like, oh, great, good, good for them. Hope that never happens here. Uh, you know, let's think about that. Is there persecution in the United States? Not probably to the degree that we could really call it persecution. Uh, you know, you, you might be 
facing resistance, but there's persecution all over the world. Uh, there, there are saints that have died through the ages to stand up for the message of Jesus Christ, and they've preached even as their dying words have been messages of proclamation about Jesus Christ. But for us, I think there is an application, and the application is that the good news spreads when our troubles become a launching pad to share Christ. And that's what's going on with these people. They have trouble. They could be going out and complaining. They could be complaining about the government. They could be complaining about the Jews, the Orthodox Jews that are causing this persecution. And this guy Saul, he's off his rocker. We need to get some banners and and form a protest against Saul. They're not doing that. They're preaching the good news. They're not crying. uh, You know, they're not crying in their... I want to say crying in their beer. Is that, is that okay to say here from the pulpit? They're not crying about what's happening to them. Instead, they're using this as an opportunity to share the truth of Jesus Christ. And while it may not be persecution for us, our troubles, our trials, the things that cause us the most pain in life, really are opportunities for us to share Christ. And if you notice, what did they share? They shared the word. And they shared the message of Christ. And so if you're facing a health issue now, you can be sharing what God's word says and what Christ provides for you in that. If you're facing a financial crisis, you can be sharing the hope that you have because of the word of God and because of the person of Jesus Christ. And imagine that. All the pressures that we face during the day became our launching pad to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying we share it as a bunch of people who have it all together and go, you know how I overcame that. Is that... But more, more is going, I have hope in the middle of my trouble. I have hope in the middle of my marriage problems because God's word says there's an opportunity for victory. I have hope in the middle of my, my uh, unemployment because I have a Savior who loves me and will, is with me. And as we begin to use our problems as opportunities, share the good news. And something's necessary for that. One, we need to apply that good news and the word to ourselves in those situations. Otherwise, we're not probably going to be doing that. And so I would just encourage you right now to begin thinking through whatever problems, whatever resistance, whatever pressures, whatever troubles, whatever trials you have, and you have them, and so do I we would begin to apply the truth of God's word and the message of hope through Jesus Christ and then begin to share that with others. One, that you would receive it and then that you would share it. And that's why, you know, it's important for the church to be gathered so we can get the truth and the hope that we need to to be built up because life gets difficult, doesn't it? We may not be facing persecution, but you all are bearing burdens, right? Is there anybody in here who isn't bearing, bear a burden or have a struggle or have experienced trials? And if you're not, you will be probably by the end of the week. Enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> Seriously, enjoy it. Don't try and dream up a trial. It'll come. Just enjoy the week. But I will say this. If we begin to see those troubles, those trials as opportunities to share, and that is a total mind shift. Because that's not the way our natural selves are wired. Our natural selves are wired to do this. Get angry, complain, worry, fear, 
self-pity, right? Depression. That's the way we're naturally wired. And that's why it's important for us to go to the Word, not our feelings, not what Google says, not what the, uh, the government says, or all the psychologists say, go to what God's Word says is true, and go to the hope that we have because of Jesus Christ. And as we begin to soak that in and go, I want to use this trouble that I have. Don't let it be useless trouble, man. We all face trouble. Don't let it be useless trouble. Let it be put to good. I want this to be a platform for sharing Christ. So the good news is spreading. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. So again, we see Philip, the evangelist, he's able to do these miraculous signs as well as the apostles were. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. I don't think he was doing like, you know, kind of pulling out the thing, the rabbit out of a hat. No, I think what we're talking is, is uh, a little bit more of a spiritual type of magic that he was a sorcerer um, involved with. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went and was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. Powerful stuff, right? I mean, that's amazing things. And I will just say this. The book of Acts is a very transitional book. So a lot of the things we read in Acts, so you have the Gospels, and then we have the Epistles. They give a lot of doctrine. The book of Acts is kind of like the link in between that helps us to understand what happened. But it's not all normative stuff. It's not all stuff that happens normally for Christians. And so as we read this book of Acts, we need to understand it was kind of like times of change in here. And so we need to understand that it's a transition happening. But some of these transitions, uh, God wanted to make a mark and say, this is of me. And so he allowed a lot of these miraculous signs. And so some people say, why isn't this happening today? It should be happening today. Um, But I just want you to know, the book of Acts is a transitional book. A lot of these things that are happening is God putting his stamp of endorsement on these men that are running, going to be bringing the church out. And so I want to just kind of talk a little bit about this. So all these miraculous signs cast out. They were believing and following uh, old Simon around and, and buying into him, but now they believed Philip's message of the good news. And then Simon himself believed and was baptized. Another thing, remember we're talking about what happens when the good news spreads. And we t- talk about the messiness, the victories that are associated with the spread of the church and growth. Talk about the struggles, talk about the, uh, the, the messiness of it. Well, this part of the story is kind of exciting. And that is another thing that's associated with when the gospel is going out 
or the good news of Jesus Christ is grabbed onto is it begins to transform lives. These people were delivered. I mean, having evil spirits that were cast out of them, having people that were lame to begin walking, having a city, it said the city was filled with joy. Can you imagine a city filled with joy? I mean, that's transforming power. And that's what was going on in that place. And it's important for us, uh, and it says that they believed, it, it's, they kind of were, it sounded like they were kind of like all puppy dogs for Simon, like kind of following Simon around, oh, the great one. And then when Philip came with this news, they believed they started buying into the message that Philip gave, and then even Simon became a puppy dog of Philip, it said. He was following him around. And so we see this major transformation happen and it's important for us to, to see this, that, uh, you know, when the good news spreads, God's power will transform our lives. And I want to just say this. In our lives, with the good news message of Jesus Christ, we should be experiencing hope. We should be experiencing deliverance. We should be experiencing joy. We should be experiencing all these wonderful things that we see here in a physical, dramatic way. But I will say this. It doesn't always happen like that in our lives. The transformation happens through belief. They believed. And belief starts in the mind. And sometimes rewiring your mind can be a lot of work and a long process. But as we will become people of belief, I mean, that's where transformation starts. Transformation starts with belief. And belief starts where? In the mind, okay? Belief does not just start in the heart. You have to know something before you can choose to buy into it and be sold on it and get excited about it. Belief starts in the mind. And so we need to see here that there's an opportunity for us to experience this, but I don't want to give you guys this false hope that like, what do you mean you're not experiencing total freedom and deliverance from your addiction today? I will say this. The good news of Jesus Christ provides us hope. Sometimes he does it like that. And you've spoke to people. Their compulsions have been just taken away. Or they've had victory over something, uh, uh, a bitterness that's been in their heart for decades. And one day they're given freedom and deliverance from it. And for others of us, it's a slow, steady process of choosing to believe what God says. And little by little, and it's usually imperceptible, like a tree growing, we begin to become different people. I've seen it to happen to you guys in here. Hopefully, you've, if you've known me long enough, you've probably had to know me for quite a while before you could say that. But you've seen some changes. But God's word, the, the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ does transform people. And it all starts with belief. That's how we're born Christians is by believing the message of Jesus Christ. And that's how we grow as Christians is by believing the message of Jesus Christ. And so if you want to experience transformation in some part of your life today, know that it's possible and God has it for you, whether it's victory over an anger issue, whether it's an unforgiveness issue, whether it's a traumatic childhood event, whether it's an eating addiction or a drinking addiction or whatever. God can provide deliverance for you. It will start with belief, and belief starts in the mind. 
and that he makes that available to us. Even this guy, Simon, now, now, remember, we said it, things get messy. We're going to see that here in just a second. But it says even this guy, Simon, believed and started and baptized and follow, following around. Pretty amazing. Acts 8, 14 to 17. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in, had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. Is that confusing? It's a little bit confusing, because we know that at the moment we believe, we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit, right? We don't have to have someone come in and call in some, some high-ranking officials from the church somewhere to lay hands on us and go, okay, we prayed for you, now you have the Holy Spirit. So what in the world is going on here? Why is this happening? Well, let's talk a little bit about it. First, let's talk about who these Sumerians are. So you've read about the Sumerians in other places, or Samaritans in other places, not Sumerians, Samaritans in other places. Remember the good Samaritan? You know, you've heard about him. Um, and so the kind of a background on them is there were 12 tribes of Israel, as you all know. The northern tribe, there were the northern tribes. The 12 tribes split up. Benjamin and Judah became southern tribes, the Jerusalem area. The other 10 tribes were known as the northern tribes. Some of those people, so there was a split among them. Some of those people, uh, as they're up north, Assyria, kind of like the bad guys, the pagans, came, and as uh, the Assyrians conquered, what happened was they, they would conquer groups and take them out of their homeland, and then they would put them in and mix them in with other people. So these Jews... These northern tribe Jews became mixed and intermarried by all these people that the Assyrians had brought in. And then so even as to where in Nehemiah's time, when they talked about like, hey, we need to rebuild the temple, even Nehemiah, I believe, said, no, we don't want those guys there. They're half-breeds. We don't want them being a part of this. So there's these Jews that are purebred Jews, and these half-breeds, and I'm saying air quotes because I feel like that can be a very offensive term, but that's how they viewed them. That's the way they were. Not It could be an offensive term. It is an offensive term. Even using the word breeding it makes it sound like animals. But they intermarried, and that's what happened. That's, and co so that's kind of the, the vibe between these Jews and the Samaritans. Okay? Now I'm going to take you through a little bit of Luke and John, and you'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember that story. That makes a little bit. And so they wouldn't let him work on the temple. So what happens is the Samaritans go like, we'll build our own temple on Mount Gerizim. And we're waiting for a Messiah. And so they held their own kind of beliefs that were kind of like what the Jews had, but not exactly. Make sense? You with me here? So here's what happened. You remember this story in John, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. I'm not going to take a lot of time on it. It says, but Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, and I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. 
go and get your husband, Jesus told her. The, the disciples didn't want Jesus to go through this town, but he ended up going through this town and meeting this lady. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have five husbands and aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem, and this is where we're kind of important, is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while the Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. Pay attention to this. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus said, I am the Messiah. So you kind of begin to see where you have these groups, these Samaritans, and they kind of have this idea, and they have this place where they kind of worship, but they're kind of like going like, it doesn't have nothing to do with you Jews. <laughs> Certainly not. And Jesus is like, yeah, it does. And she's like, well, we'll wait for the Messiah to tell us all about it. He's like, I am the Messiah. I, this Jewish man, am the Messiah. Now here, this is uh, from Luke. Remember, Luke is the prequel to Acts, so the people who, who've read Acts have probably read Luke. This is Luke continuing his, the book of Acts is the continuation of the book of Luke. So people are familiar with this story, probably. The same people that read Luke had, were probably reading Acts. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolute, resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to the Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. See the tension here? When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, you don't realize what your hearts are like, for the Son of Man has not come to destroy people's lives, but to save them. So they went on to another village. So you see the tension here. Here, here you have these two guys, James and John, and they're like, Oh, yeah, you want us to call down fire? We'll torch these Samaritans. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's, take it easy, guys, take it easy. That's not what I'm about. And so when we see that in mind, and then we hear what happens, and there's, there's then these Samaritans have received good news about the Christ. And then, as we talked about, It says, now, now let's try and, this John, the guy that John, one of the guys that came down here, Peter and John came down and put hands, that's one of the guys that was like, let's call down fire. And now he's having to put his hands and pray for these guys. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard the people of Samaria, so this is what I read earlier, accepted God's message. So now do you hear where there might have been, this is like, this people of Jerusalem heard they accepted God's message they said, we better send some guys down there to make sure this, this is all it's cracked up to be. They sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come out upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Peter and John laid hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. 
I know there was a lot of background story to that to make it make sense, but we need to know that because you, that explains to us why the Holy Spirit did not come upon these men right away. They needed that endorsement from Jerusalem so they didn't just become this rogue group of believers that were off starting their own thing, and they needed the apostles to say, yep, they're the real deal. And I believe this, there was a huge wounds for generations that were healed in this moment. Because you could see the tension was from both sides. Both sides had heart problems towards each other, didn't they? And can you imagine, you see this, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit, and they go, they're not Samaritans, they're our brothers and sisters. And doesn't the scripture say that? Not Jew or Gentile or Greek or barbarian or Scythian or male or female or slave or free man, but in Jesus Christ. And here we see these walls of division come down. And that's something that happens. When the good news spread, walls of division come down. And there's healing where there has been division. This is one of those beautiful marks of growth in what Jesus Christ does. And he provides this healing among these people that have probably hated, had hated each other for years. And they become one body, one church. And the same is true for us. It's not white or black or darker, darker or lighter or... It's not poor or rich or jock or skater or surfer or biker or construction guy or businessman or male or female. It's the body of Jesus Christ, and that's what Jesus Christ does. He brings people together. He wants to do the same in our families, in our homes, in our workplaces. When the message of Jesus Christ comes in, there begins to be restoration of relationships. That's what Jesus Christ does. Now, here's where things get a little crazy and messy. When Simon saw the Spirit was given, the apostles laid, sorry, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. Now, listen to Peter. Does Peter go like, come on, take it easy. You got a lot of learning to do. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you. One of the, one of the ways a scholar has translated this or kind of put it into modern jargon is to hell with you and your money. I don't know if that's exactly what he was saying, but it sounds pretty, pretty bold. May your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts, for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and held captive by sin. Pray the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. The good news, when the good news spreads, the, church, the purity of the church needs to be protected. And do you remember earlier in our book what happened to Ananias and Sapphira came along? They got, mm. theirs was all about money. They wanted money. Well, Simon here wants power. And if you, if, it's important for us to see the way that the enemy wants to try and corrupt the church. And we need to, to remember that we, we need to beware of trying to run the church according to our natural, worldly ways. Because... 
church has become a very commercialized, power-hungry, money-centered thing. And, I mean, if you look at through the ages, there's actually even a term for this called simony, where people buy religious uh, status or a place in the church. And if you look at maybe even the Catholic church and the power that some of the Catholic church, and I'm not trying to bash the Catholic church because I think many of those people are our brothers and sisters. If they've truly put their faith in Jesus Christ, they are, uh, regardless of maybe a lot of other wrong doctrines, if they put their faith in Christ. But what I'm saying is you can see where this power and the corruption comes in. And as the good news of Christ goes out, we can't just be willy-nilly and accept everything that comes down the road and all think it's all just good. And so it's important there's an addressing a or a confrontation of sin, and confrontation of sin is a good thing. So as Peter sees this and he says, he speaks out against it, it's not, whoa, calm down, Peter. Be nice. We're all about loves and hugs here, man. That's how the church is built. No, the purity of the church is very important. And when we see the worldliness move in, worldly tactics move in, selfishness, money-hungry, power-hungry stuff in a church, we need to call it out. You see it all through, If you and I feel like I maybe get other glimpses into it because of kind of having maybe an insider's view of church leadership in different situations. I think it's a beautiful thing that we have here and the way God's working here, but we're not above getting off track. And we need to be willing and ready to call out if we become a group that's run by worldly ways. What ended up happening after testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. Is that beautiful? Here are these guys now. They're going and they're continuing to spread the message. It was scattered out through persecution and then these guys continue. So again, just kind of the, the idea of all these pressures, victories, messiness when God's word spreads and, and, and I'll just kind of go through the good news spreads when our troubles become a launching pad to share Christ. Let's use our troubles as a launching pad to share Christ. It spreads when God's power transforms our lives, and that transformation starts with belief. Let's let God's word, the story of Christ, the message of Christ, transform our life. Division, the walls of division torn down with the message of Christ. Let's be people who help tear down those walls because of the message of Jesus Christ, and let's be people who protect the purity of our church. Now, all this, there's a ton going on there. I covered a lot, I know. There's a ton going on, but all of this amazing stuff is the work of Jesus Christ. It's because of what Jesus Christ did, and that's these are all ripple effects of the person of Jesus Christ. He wants to do these kind of things in our lives. It may not look exactly the way it looked in Acts, but that is our Savior, you guys. That's what he was doing. He brought these two groups that hated each other and brought unity. He can bring unity to you and whoever it might be. He, hate, he through his power, through the Holy Spirit, through, the, through Jesus Christ, heals, transforms, brings joy into a whole city. He can do that for you, and he can do that for me. All these things are possible because of Jesus Christ. And you know what? We have Jesus Christ. That's good news. 
And we have a good news message to share. We have hope. And we can be a person, and there's all kind of debates, was Simon a believer? Was he not a believer? I, I, if you want to talk about that, I'll, I'll talk to you about that. Uh, and there are good arguments for both. I don't know, but we, uh, I, I believe he was given a chance to repent, if nothing else, here at the end. We all have an opportunity to repent because of Jesus Christ. Man, we got so many good things. So I would just encourage you as you think about, you know, what, what does it look like for you to have the good news message be a part of your life? And I'll say this, wherever it starts, it will probably start with belief in some way, shape, or form. Even if you've been a believer for many years, there's a way for you to start believing deeper or believing in a new area, the good news message of Jesus Christ and how it applies to you. He's the only one who can give eternal life. If you're putting your trust in yourself or anything else for eternal life or for growth or for maturity, that's a sucky way to live, and it will end in eternal death. But putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross brings eternal life and overflowing abundant life. We all have that opportunity here today. So what are you going to believe or what do you need to start believing about Jesus Christ as related to you? Ask him to show you. Ask him to make it clear because he wants to transform us. And I believe he is. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the opportunity, the new hope that we have because of him. Father, I thank you for these scriptures. While in many ways they're so full and uh, in, in some ways seem confusing, Father, they are just so full of life and application. Help us to enjoy, to soak in these words. Uh, pray that you'd bring them to our mind through the week, that the enemy wouldn't steal them, squeeze them out with the cares of this world, uh, but instead that we would buy into it, that we would accept it, that we re- would receive it, and that this word would receive, would, would, uh, would, as we receive it, would kind of multiply a hundredfold, as, as the parable talks about, that there would just be life that would flow from us because of this passage of Scripture. I know you can do this through your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.